It's been 20 years since the chicks were ostracized for speaking out against the Iraq war. They were at the height of their fame when the industry and some fans turned against them. How has the country music industry changed for women since? This is Listen in Lubbock. For Texas Tech Public Media, this is Listen in Lubbock. I'm your host, Sarah Self-Walbrick. I'm getting over a sinus infection, so please bear with us through today's episode. Speaking from experience, the 90s and the beginning of the 2000s were a really great time to be a little girl in Lubbock. The Lady Raiders were the best sports team in the city. And one of our own, Natalie Maines, lit up the music charts with her band, the chicks. There were ample women to look up to. That dynamic shifted in March of 2003 when Natalie Maine said three sentences at a London concert that changed the trajectory of her band. Two decades later, women in the country music industry say there are lessons to learn and changes needed to make the genre more inclusive for all. This is a topic Jennifer Gerson from the 19th News has dug into recently. If you're not familiar with the 19th, they're a nonprofit newsroom reporting on gender, politics, and policy. Jennifer joins us today to talk about the Chicks' legacy and their impact on the music industry. Jennifer, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here talking about the Chicks. Me as well. Let's start by setting the scene. It's March 2003, and the United States is gearing up to invade Iraq, the start of what would be a long war. Jennifer, tell us about the political climate at the time. You know, I think it's hard to overstate how extreme the feelings of patriotism were in the U.S. at the time and how patriotism was being defined post 9-11. You know, when the war in Iraq started now 20 years ago, I was actually in college at the time, and it was just such an interesting time to be a college student and see what was happening in this country. And there was this kind of with us or against us mentality following the attacks on the World Trade Center, you know, immediately in 2001. And then that kind of evolved as we got a little further out from the immediacy of 9-11, the day of the attacks. And as attention started to shift towards, would there be some kind kind of coordinated military response in the Middle East and what would that mean and look like and how would that actually connect to what had happened on 9-11? There was this kind of mounting national tension that was happening between, okay, we've had this horrific terrorist attack on our country. And then the question of what do we do and how does military action factor into that? And are these things connected in any way? And from that became questions that you know, questions grew from questions. There was, you know, is questioning the president unpatriotic, is being opposed to military intervention of any kind unpatriotic. And I think, you know, something we forget a little bit now being 20 years out from all of this is just how little we knew then, especially as the American public. There was certainly all this talk that dominated national news on a daily basis about, you know, weapons of mass destruction, you know, WMDs in Iraq, and this question of whether we as a country needed to take swift and kind of forceful military action to address that, whether that connected to what had happened with this attack orchestrated by the Taliban 
headquartered in Afghanistan against the United States on September 11th. And I feel like something that if you weren't in the mix when this was going on, it was just this question of there was, if you were someone who was asking, well, are we sure about that? That was incredibly outside of the mainstream. You weren't the only one probably asking those questions, but it definitely wasn't the norm in a time when patriotism became just incredibly synonymous with this idea of morality, integrity, and I think even truth. And the idea that patriotism required some degree of blind loyalty and that questioning perhaps wasn't patriotic. And I think that was just a really huge and overwhelming dynamic that existed nationwide at that time, and especially in the South. You know, if you were in the South, there was definitely this pressure to back what was happening and that the idea of questioning, maybe that puts you outside of someone who loves the country. Ten days before the war officially starts, the chicks are performing in London. Lead singer Natalie Maines already has a reputation for being outspoken. And then she makes a comment to the crowd. What does she say? So Natalie Maines says to the London audience, just so you know, we're on the good side with y'all. We do not want this war, this violence. And then she said the 11 words that basically changed her and her band's entire career. She said, we're ashamed the president of the United States is from Texas. To me, a really interesting element of this story is just how this comment spread. This was before social media. So how did the statement that was made in another country turn into such a big deal? And do you think that Natalie ever expected that it would? Well, this is when I started to feel really old, because like I said, I was in college when this happened. And not only did we not have, you know, TikTok or Instagram or even texting at that time but there wasn't I remember when Facebook came about and it was not then and you know the share of information was so different than we had the internet obviously and you were able to kind of read the news online but we weren't in this time like we are now when everyone you know if you're at a concert you're streaming it you're posting on TikTok videos from it you're texting your friends like oh my god this is so awesome I mean we are, have all been inundated if you're on social media in any way. We've all seen everything that's going on during the Eras tour with Taylor Swift. This is not the case when the chicks were touring in 2003. So I think that is like a huge element to keep in mind right now too. And in terms of would Natalie have ever expected it, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine that she could have expected this kind of response given that kind of context. I think that making this kind of comment for a London audience in a pre-social media era you just couldn't have anticipated this degree of almost I don't know, social contagion in response. It's also important to remember that the review in The Guardian that quoted Mainz didn't even run until two days after the gig itself. You know, and the review wasn't solely about what Mainz said during the concert. It was a review of the Chick Show in London. And it was like, by the way, Natalie Mainz also said this. It was kind of additional color in the story. It was just really different times and you know, I think that hit The Guardian then on March the 12th, and it did pretty quickly spread, again, especially given the fact that we weren't in the social media era, but just the fact that the internet gave us access in a way that we had not had access even five, ten years prior to what was going on in other parts of the world. This news picked up quickly, and I think because there was already 
so much tension in the United States over this idea of speaking out against the idea of a war that we all sort of knew was probably coming, expressing any kind of hesitancy over what a coordinated military attack would mean. You know, Mates wasn't the only person saying these things, and certainly not the only person in the entertainment industry saying these things, but she was definitely one of the only people in country music saying these things. And the chicks were huge country music stars. Natalie Maines was top of her game, as were her bandmates. And I think it's important to keep in mind that even though country music was already a little wary of the chicks and the way they were very unafraid to express themselves, unapologetic and speaking their minds, the industry was already over this and I think looking for some reason to jump on something they had done and push them to the side. But I do think it's hard to imagine that they could have expected that this was going to be the tipping point. But the blood was in the water already. The industry was not looking super fondly on the chicks at the moment already. They had just come out of a lawsuit that had just been settled with their record label over not having paid some back royalties. And people just saw them as like, ungrateful. They were loud and outspoken. They were an all-women band and country music, and they were not afraid to speak their minds. And that was incredibly outside of the norm of the mainstream country music industry. And they were top of the charts in mainstream country music at that time, too. So the industry did not love that. You've told us a little bit about what things were like culturally at that time. Tell us a little bit more about what was going on in country music. You know, I think about Toby Keith, who had a major, very patriotic moment about the same time frame. Yes. Well, Keith had a huge hit song called Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue. And he and Natalie Maines had gotten into a very public dispute over the song, which I said was a huge hit, very popular, very well received amongst mainstream country music fans. There were some lyrics in the song that it's hard to imagine would be able to kind of stand today. There's some pretty sweeping stereotypes about people from the Middle East, people of Arabic descent, and their values as it pertains to their culture. And Maines called him out on this. She said that the lyrics of the song were ignorant. She said that his song made country music sound ignorant. And part of her quote about this that kind of spurred this fight with Toby Keith was saying that this targets an entire culture, not just bad people who did bad things. And again, today in 2023, this doesn't sound like a wild thing to say, but it definitely was in 2003 to say like, hey, what if we don't talk about individual bad actors and shift like that you can't just like shift your focus to an entire country an entire people an entire region of the world and direct hatred and anger there that was not what the dominant idea was at the time that's definitely what was happening and it was what's happening in country music and in popular country music and Natalie Maines and the Chicks were already engaged in pushing back against that kind of discourse that was alive and well in their industry at the time. So how did this moment, these three sentences, impact the Chicks' career? So, you know, like I mentioned, the Chicks were already being kind of perceived as dangerous in country music at the time for the way they had sued their label and asked for money that was rightfully theirs. And just the fact that they were willing to call things as they saw them, to say to another megastar in the industry like Toby Keith, like, hey, don't love what you're saying. It doesn't sit right with us. They were willing to speak out. They were regulars at Lilith Fair 
proudly identified as feminist, they just existed outside of what mainstream country was already supposed to be, and yet they were killing it in mainstream country. So, you know, Jada Watson, who's a wonderful professor of information studies at University of Ottawa and the principal investigator of the Song Data Project, who has done a lot of studying and analysis around how there has been just a good amount of, we'll say, discrimination against non-white, non-cis men in country music. But she put it really well, you know, the industry had all the ammunition they needed to get rid of them. And that's exactly what happened. At that time, the chicks were totally top of their game. They had performed the national anthem at the Super Bowl the year before. They had singles on billboard charts, both in country and just across the board, like the Hot 100. And then that changed basically overnight. March 10th, they made these comments in London. No one basically knew. By March 12th, the whole world seemed to know after this review ran in The Guardian. And the industry took action pretty swiftly. I mean, by the end of the day on March 12th, again, it was national news, local news. You couldn't look away from the images of people standing in their front yards just burning mountains of chicks' CDs. People were so angry that this had happened, and it wasn't just fans angry feeling like a favorite, beloved band, and a band that was, again, really dominant in country music at the time, had said something critical of the president, and them saying they felt ashamed of him, and that he was from Texas, from the South, and part of this culture that was so steadfast in rallying around this kind of idea of like normative patriotism at the time. So it wasn't surprising that between what fans wanted and what the industry had already long wanted about them, things happened really quickly with changing the trajectory of their careers. They were effectively banned on country radio. They went from being one of the biggest acts in the country to kind of disappearing. It just completely changed the game for them. They went from dominating billboard charts to dropping off of the billboard charts basically completely and almost overnight. And it also really changed the way we talked about them as artists in country music and what it meant to discuss them as artists outside of this thing they had once said and the way that the country responded to it. We have to take a short break. We'll continue talking about women in country music after the break. Stick with us. This is Listen in Lubbock, and I'm your host, Sarah Self-Wall-Brick. It's been 20 years since the chicks were blacklisted in country music for being too political. That's just one moment that highlights the unique challenges women face in that genre. Jennifer Gerson from the 19th News has written multiple articles about representation in country music. I'm excited to continue our conversation. Jennifer, you spoke with several women country artists about the chick's impact and legacy. What did they have to say? To start, I was really, really interested in the comments that Harper Gray shared with me. She talked about how for her and growing up in rural Alabama and growing up as a queer woman, the chicks were an inspiration to her. You know, she was school age when this incident happened and she talked to me about remembering kind of seeing this happen, seeing people in her own community 
burning chick CDs. And instead of being kind of radicalized in the way of thinking, oh my goodness, I better keep my mouth closed if I want to have a career, she talked about what an inspiration it was to her. She realized how much speaking up and kind of speaking your truth matters. You know, I loved how she said to me that she really took away from it that, wow, when you share your opinion, it can impact the entire country. Like that is literally what's happening right now. The entire country is talking about the chicks and what they said and about the war. And it's because they spoke out. She didn't see it as a negative. And she said that, especially as a queer woman in country and country music being kind of traditionally hostile to anyone who is not a heterosexual, white and cisgender man, it empowered her to be confident in being herself as she moved in her career. She's been out as a queer woman in country since the beginning of her career. She felt like because of what she had seen from the chicks, she felt like she could be herself and speak up and felt incredibly motivated to make sure that her career involved speaking her truth, knowing that people around her were going to support that, and then making sure that as she was doing this, she was creating a lot of space for other people to come up behind her and have the same kinds of opportunities and more opportunities. And I thought that was really beautiful to hear that this was such a positive influence on her and on her career. She actually shared with me a photo she keeps in her writing room at home that is of the cover of Entertainment Weekly that the chicks were on shortly after this incident happened in March of 2003 and all three bandmates are naked and just painted with words that had been kind of directed against them people who we're calling them all kinds of things, probably not acceptable to say <laughs> out loud on public radio. And Lindsay L, who is touring with Shania Twain right now, she talked about too just how there's a number of kind of double standards, first of all, that exist. We, you know, we know that double standards exist for women basically in any industry, but she really wanted to stress that we forget, I think sometimes, just how much women are expected to do and perform and then the kind of expectation of how gender factor into that. And I think that really speaks to kind of this continued impact of the chicks on country, or maybe impact's not even the right word, but something that the chicks really expose that exists within country music, which is that people expect women artists to, as the proverbial phrase goes, shut up and sing. People want women to be there looking pretty and performing and just not saying a whole lot after that. And I think what Lindsay L shared really speaks to that. And then I also got a chance to speak with Margot Price and, you know, Price, she talked about knowing that she exists outside of the mainstream, that she is never going to be welcomed or accepted by mainstream country music because she is incredibly vocal about her politics, incredibly vocal about how she feels about mainstream country music's politics and how she takes a lot of pride in that. And I think that these women today certainly saw what happened to the chicks, understood what happened to the chicks and how it impacted their careers, and have really utilized that as a way to make choices for themselves and who they want to be as artists today and public personas today and what it means to be civically engaged in any way as someone who has a big microphone, has a big platform. So I think those are really some of the most interesting things I heard from these women I got to speak with about kind of this lasting impact of the chicks and their legacy. 
The chicks certainly weren't the first women to challenge industry standards. Tell us a little more about the long history of women fighting for their place in country music. Yeah, well, this all did not begin <laughs> with the chicks. Country music didn't like love women and then the chicks came along. There's been a lot of women who have kind of come up against pretty just widespread harassment and discrimination within the country music industry. Bad record deals, low pay, you name it, it's probably happened. And we've seen this with a lot of women that we think of as really beloved cultural figures, women like Loretta Lynn, women like Patsy Cline and Dolly Parton. They all have kind of come up against these same things in their careers. And I think one of the interesting factors um, that kind of goes into this is that country music as an industry is really different when we think about the music industry kind of writ large because it actually has a professional organization dedicated to its own existence and promotion and continuation which is the country music association which has existed since 1958 and it has had a heavy hand in kind of steering country music in a conservative both big c and little c direction we have seen the way that other women have had songs banned from country radio we have loretta lynn's you know iconic 1975 song the pill about you know women feeling really frustrated and angry about her lack of agency and kind of bodily autonomy experiencing back-to-back pregnancies until she's able to begin oral contraceptives and we've got martina mcfred's 1994 song independence day which drew a connection between the act of american independence the creation of our country and a mother killing her husband in a house fire to escape domestic violence these are all songs that have been banned from country radio these are all songs and artists who were met with anger, aggression, um, blacklisting. And you know, something that really sets country music apart as a genre, and I feel like comes up every time I do reporting on country music and especially get to speak to country artists, is that people end up in country music because they love the way the country tells stories. And when women have used the kind of bones of country music, this ability to tell really deeply resonant narratives to their listeners, they have faced pushback for that. Radio programming has long played a role in this. Explain that dynamic to us and how it's changed over the years. When we talk about country music radio, we are often talking about a kind of chicken egg situation when it comes to just the real lack of opportunity that exists for women, but also for artists of color and queer artists in country music. Radio programmers say that they don't get enough material from the labels, from these kinds of artists to play. The labels say, well, country radio won't play it, so we don't sign these kinds of artists. And that, you know, we're not investing in songwriters who are gonna write material for these kinds of artists too. There's this whole dynamic that kind of goes back and forth in a really circular way in music, but the reality becomes that for women, for people of color, for queer people, they simply aren't played on country radio. And country radio is hugely important to country music as an industry. This all kind of came to a head in how we understand this and talk about this in a real kind of saying the quiet part out loud in 2015 when Gary Overton, who was then the chief executive at Sony Nashville, said, if you're not on country radio, you don't exist. And the reality is that women were very much not on country radio at the time. And just a few months after that came what is now known kind of in the music industry as Tomato Gate, which is when country music radio programming consultant Keith Hill told an industry publication and you know if you want to make ratings in country radio 
you got to take the females out. And he went on to kind of create this now iconic, if you will, analogy comparing women artists and country to the tomatoes, not the lettuce of the salad of country radio. And nobody wants a salad just out of tomatoes. There's maybe one or two tomatoes in your salad, but gotta have the lettuce that's the that's the reality of the salad jennifer tell us about some of the women in country music who are challenging standards today well when we think about some of these women who are just saying no to this kind of norming um we have a lot of great women to look to and women who are incredibly successful to be honest we have someone like casey musgraves who again has been incredibly vocal in her support for lgbtq rights for reproductive rights for just not being down for what the mainstream country music industry is promoting as what the look, image, sound, and politics of country music are. And Casey's certainly gotten her fair share of pushback from the industry as a result of it. You know, her newest album was not nominated for a Grammy last year, and all of her previous albums were all nominated in the category of Best Country Album. And this is her first time releasing a record that was not. And the country music industry said this has to be classified as pop music. And it's hard to think that this is happening in a vacuum of being told who you are, what you're doing, this can't be country. And yet we're seeing someone like Casey really succeeding, really connecting with fans. Obviously, she's a huge star and just increasingly not interested, I think, in what country music as an industry has to say to her. We're seeing this with Maren Morris, who is in a really interesting position where she is still an incredibly successful, I think, you know, mainstream country star. I think most people who consider themselves country music fans, regardless of their politics, have heard of Maren Morris and love it. But Maren Morris has been incredibly vocal, especially in the past few years, of speaking out about anything she really felt like speaking out about. She is very, very vocal about abortion rights, very, very vocal about LGBTQ rights, and is not afraid to kind of, in the spirit of Natalie Maines, get into it with other artists in the industry who are saying and doing things she does not agree with when it comes to these things that are often classified as political issues. And I think that Maren Morris is really comfortable talking about in a way of saying, well, to me, this isn't really about politics. This is about kind of a level of humanity and really not being afraid to throw herself in the mix. We've spent a lot of this show talking about how a political statement affected the chick's career. But after a long hiatus, they've continued to make music and perform sold out shows. Still, that comment in 2003 looms over any conversation about the band. How does that impact their overall legacy? Something that came up and reporting my most recent story in a really wonderful conversation I had with Marissa Moss, who is the author of the phenomenal book, Her Country, is that when we talk about the chicks, even today, what we all still leave with is like, wow, remember what happened in 2003? Like, wow, can you believe how they've rebounded after those comments? And what gets left out is conversation about them as artists and the level of their artistry. Marissa Moss was talking about how we unfortunately kind of lose focus on the fact that they are incredibly talented musicians. And we lose that sometimes in, we, in what we talk about. When we talk about the chicks, we pay so much attention to this kind of political cultural moment that happened that we rob them and many other women artists have the opportunity to talk about them as artists and focus on the artistry. The conversation is always about 
first where they exist within this spectrum of political conversation right now. Are they towing the party line? Are they not towing the party line? How is the industry responding? How are fans responding? Where are they finding an audience? What has country music as an industry done to them? And then again, if you're reading any piece of music criticism, maybe after all of that, if you've made it down three quarters of the way through the piece, do you find something about them as artists and the work they do as musicians? Marissa said that it's so important to learn from the lessons of the past, but it's also important to talk about the impact of their music and the quality of their music. That's part of their story too, she said of the chicks. And I think that is so true and so important to keep in mind when we think about what our conversations about women, especially, but also people of color, queer people and country music, who they are in this industry. The politics certainly are important and are certainly a huge factor in the conversation. But if we're not talking about the music and the artistry first, we're kind of just perpetuating the same system that effectively is holding these people back within the industry. Jennifer Gerson is a reporter with the 19th News. That's all the time we have for today. I'll link to several of Jennifer's articles about women in country music in the web version of today's show. You can find that in other local programming at ttupublicmedia.org. Until next time, thanks for listening in.